Great, well, morning, everyone. I wonder if anyone knows this film. Anyone know what this is? Yeah, Tom? Back to the Future, great, a few people, brilliant. Back to the Future, this is the franchise, Back to the Future. In it, there's a guy called Doc who creates a machine that allows people to go back and forth in time. And it all gets very confusing. They travel forward many, many years to 2015, and they go back, and they go forward and they go back. One of the characters, called Biff, which is this guy here, he acquires this list of sports results from 1950 to 2000. And he takes it back in time with him. And he then uses that knowledge that he has of all those winners to put bets on sports that he knows the results of. Because he knows this list from the future. And he wins millions. Several times he wins millions and millions of dollars, I guess. Media brand him as the luckiest man on earth. And he becomes a man of great influence. You see, Biff's knowledge impacts the way he lives in the present. His knowledge of the future impacts the way he lives in the present. And I suppose that would be very true of all of us, wouldn't it? If I knew there was going to be a terrible flood uh, in a certain part of the country in five years' time, I probably wouldn't buy a house there. If I knew what was going to happen with Brexit, I'm sure I'd be a very popular man. (laughs) But it would certainly impact the way I live now. I'd, I'd maybe start stocking up, or I wouldn't start stocking up on supplies. Or if I knew that someone I love was going to die tomorrow, it would certainly change my plans for today. Knowing the future impacts the way we live in the present. As a church, we are working our way through a book of the Bible called Luke, which is an account of the life of Jesus. And he records the very words that Jesus spoke when he was on earth about 2,000 years ago. And in this passage today that we're about to read, Jesus tells us about the future. It is a tricky passage to understand. I've been struggling with it all week. But the big message is very clear. Knowing the future impacts the way we live in the present. And Jesus tells us in this passage what the future is. So Alex is going to come up and read us uh, the passage, which is Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. That's on page 1051 of the Blue Bibles that you've got uh, around you. That if you are new to all this, it's the big number 17 in the Bible and the little number 20. So that's Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. Sorry, 20 <laughs> to 37. Apologies. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is, Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. 
But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on, a, on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together, one will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Thank you, Alex. And thank you, Ewan, for praying for us as we read uh, this um, together. So the big question that is being asked by the Jewish leaders here, right at the start in verse 20, that's the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, means the same thing. And it's a big question, and it frames the entire section of Luke that we're looking at right now. When will the kingdom of God come? When will the kingdom of God come? That's the big question. So what do they mean here by the kingdom of God? Well, it's a phrase that keeps popping up in Luke every time he's writing about this kind of stuff. It's, it's a way that Luke uses to describe the place where God's rule is gladly accepted. And the Jewish people had a view that God was going to establish his kingdom with military might as he overthrew their Roman oppressors. They thought that it was going to come about with a theatrical display of signs in the atmosphere. Jesus has literally just healed 10 men of a chronic leprosy. But that kind of sign isn't, specific, isn't the specific sign that these guys want. And Jesus has repeatedly claimed that in him, the kingdom of God is near. So this question isn't some gentle inquiry that they're asking. It's more like they're saying, okay, Jesus, okay, you've claimed this again and again and again. If you really are who you say you are, if you really are the coming of the kingdom, then where are the signs that we're expecting? And Jesus tells them, you won't observe this in the way you're expecting. The signs you're looking for are wrong. You're looking right at it, but you can't see it. I and my followers are the kingdom of God in your midst. See, in some sense, God's kingdom has arrived in Jesus. And they have chosen a time and time again to ignore him. It's like they're looking right through him, like right through all the signs that he's done, right through all the people he's transformed, and they ignore him. They're fixated on the ideas that they have of how things should be, and they aren't open to God's plan for his kingdom. So Jesus then pulls his, his followers, his disciples, aside, and he explains to them a bit more. The kingdom of God is in some way here, and in some way it's still to come. Part of it is now, and part of it is not yet. And Jesus has brought the kingdom of God to earth, but there's more of it to come. So Jesus teaches them about this one day when it will fully come, the day that he will return to earth. Jesus identifies himself often as the son of man, and he calls this period, which we're focusing on in this passage, the days of the son of man, the full coming of God's kingdom. And Jesus says when it comes, it will be as obvious as the lightning flashing across the sky. Everyone will know about it. 
Jesus doesn't tell us everything we could know about this day, but he does tell us enough that we can live rightly now in light of it. Knowing the future should impact the way we live in the present. So, what does he tell us about this future day so that we can change the way that we live now? Firstly, it will be disruptive. Jesus recounts two episodes in the Old Testament, Noah and Lot. Both are accounts of God's judgment against the rebellious people who have gone against his ways. And in both accounts, God brings severe judgment against the people who are involved. But Noah and his family and Lot and his family are saved by God's gracious hand so they don't face judgment. Verse 26 says this, just as, it was, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. And did you see earlier what people will be doing when that day comes? They'll be eating, drinking, marrying. There's not a lot of things more future-focused than a wedding day, are there? A bride will be walking down the aisle as her husband looks lovingly, anticipating their lives together ahead of them. A couple will be making their vows to spend their lives together. But Jesus says he will come and disrupt this. He will interrupt all that. Others will be doing deals, doing business. Some will be preparing big ideas for the growth of their company. Others planning to build an extension to their property. Others have just ordered something on Amazon. They've got the dispatch email, but it hasn't arrived. Jesus disrupts things before all this arrives. And whenever that day comes, it will be a disruption to the normal goings-on of life. One day, he will return, and whatever we're in the middle of, whatever I'm in the middle of, it will simply stop. He won't ensure my plans are completed. I certainly find this changes my perspective on my plans. The business you've been building for 40 years, the home you've made, the holiday you've booked, the hours of revision you've made for exams. All of those are good things. But one day, Jesus will come again, and all of that will be insignificant. Firstly, it will be disruptive. Secondly, it will be destructive. See the utter destruction depicted by this account, by this words of Jesus. The flood, the fire and sulfur. These ideas are depicting what it will be like on the day of the Son of Man. I wonder how these pictures fit in with your idea of Jesus' return. These are the two examples that Jesus himself uses and he picks to depict that day. And he says, it will be just like this on the day of the Son of Man. These events, Noah and Lot, are not random events of vengeance or revenge. They are fair acts of judgment on, in both cases. Judgment of a good God against a people who have gone against his good ways. It will be disruptive it will be destructive, and it will be divisive. There will be two sharing a bed together, nothing closer. One will be taken to safety with God, the other will face judgment. After a busy day harvesting, two lifelong neighbors gather at the corn mill. They bring their seed in a jar and chat side by side, grinding the corn together. 
maybe in a modern parallel, two colleagues are just finishing up at work, and they're about to get into their cars and go home to their families. Jesus returns, and one will be taken away to God with safety. The other will face his judgment. It won't be possible to negotiate a plus one. This separation is not based on family background, on occupation, on skin color, on character quirks, on people you know. It's a division that will come. And it's a division between those who long for Jesus to come and those who do not. Those who will be saved by Jesus and those who will face his judgment that we all deserve. Now this is one of the most painful truths that Jesus teaches, but he never falters from it. He tells us to warn us. Noah and his family were mocked for believing this was true. Lot's daughters were walked away from their husbands who laughed at them because there would have been nothing left for them in the days following judgment. And we know from elsewhere in the Bible that God delays this coming. He's patient in bringing this judgment so that we have time to tell people. But God is not subject to my timing. He will bring this division. Jesus' words here seem brutally blunt, don't they? And they are intentionally blunt because we are in a life and death situation. The day that he returns will be disruptive, destructive, and divisive. All will know about it. And at that point, it will be too late to enter his kingdom. So how do I respond to these hard, hard hard-hitting truths? Well, we saw earlier that knowing the future impacts the way we live in the present. We all do this, don't we? If I know I've got a school holiday coming up or annual leave coming up, I will change the way I live today. Maybe I'm energized to push through those last few days. Maybe I book a trip away. Or maybe I'm someone who likes to slow down as I see these kind of things coming. Knowing that future impacts the way I go about my life today. And knowing the future of what Jesus has just said should impact the way that we live today. Perhaps you're someone here who identifies as being part of the kingdom of God. You recognize Jesus as God, and you would call yourself a Christian. Jesus today is saying to us, if I value anything that I own so much that I would rather stay with it than leave it behind for Jesus to destroy as I go with him for eternity, then I'm over-invested in the here and now. If I value anything that I own so much that I would rather stay with it than leave it behind for Jesus to destroy, as I go with him for eternity, then I'm over-invested in the here and now. Don't be so invested in this world that you are distracted from the kingdom. Living and working for the kingdom involves a radical reshaping of our priorities. It's not wrong to enjoy those good things that God has given us, but it's so tempting to live for now and not then, isn't it? Don't live with one foot in the kingdom of God and one in the world. 
Jesus says, hold these things lightly. Be willing to let go. Let's read verse 31. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus here urges us not to be attached to the things of this world. When he returns, it will all be lost, all destroyed. The houses of that time had stairs running down the outside. And when he returns, Jesus is saying, don't run back inside if you're on the rooftop. Run down the stairs away from your things. They're worthless. Run down the stairs on the outside. They're going to be destroyed. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. He's saying if you would do that, if that's your, your, your heart's attitude is to go back and get those things, then you reveal that you place a greater value on those things than on God's kingdom. Lot's wife valued the things of her life, of this life. And so she turned back towards her home. Even if your most treasured possession is just inside the front door, just there, don't go back and get it. It's soon to be destroyed. So I wonder, what do you really value? What purchase are you most excited about? Do your possessions drag you away from living and working for God's kingdom? I've been thinking and deliberating, maybe you could say obsessing, over the last month or so about what the best deal is for my broadband. I've literally spent over 10 hours of my life trying to work out the best deal. What a ridiculous overinvestment in this life. Absolutely pointless. Yeah, I could just do it and just get on with life. I've been so absorbed in getting my fiber connection that I've neglected the kingdom works all around me. I could have been using that time to share the gospel with my friends, share life with my friends. And Jesus gives us the antidote to people like me who are too focused on the here and now. Let's read verse 33. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Jesus says, be willing to lose the life you are living. Travel light. Recognize that one day your material possessions will one day be destroyed. And therefore, invest in eternal things. Think about Noah. He let go of all credibility in front of his peers as he built that ark. He invested huge resource into the God's kingdom there. And he was proven right when God fulfilled that judgment that he promised on the people of that time. I wonder what you need to hold more lightly to. That new laptop, that video game, that phone, that item of clothing. Maybe you've become so involved in that particular hobby that you've got that you've lost the big picture. Maybe your reputation amongst peers is of most importance to you. Hold these things lightly and you'll start to gain Jesus' perspective. It's where I've seen the disciples that Jesus was teaching this to went on to heed his advice. Their overwhelming desire was that the people around them would come to know Jesus. They would enter God's kingdom for themselves. Many, if not all, lost their lives because they saw God's kingdom was of greater value than the things of this earth. 
I wonder, perhaps, as a church, whether we should be more willing to challenge each other as we become overinvested in the here and now. If our priorities in life stop us from living and speaking for Jesus, if they stop us spreading his kingdom, something needs to change. And we can help each other reshape those priorities. So let's pray we could spur one another on to live this way. Why not take some time this afternoon to do that? Tell someone close to you where you are over-investing in the here and now and ask them to help you work out what it means to change that. Perhaps you're here this morning and you would not say you're a Christian. You are really, truly welcome here. Thank you for coming. I understand that this message is offensive. Nothing has changed in this message's offensiveness from when it was said to today. It was offensive then, and it's offensive now. And so it forces a very simple question. Did Jesus tell the truth? Was Jesus telling the truth? If he's actually telling the future here, then it hugely impacts the way that you live today. In fact, if it is true, then it should completely flip your worldview upside down. If it's not true, then it's an absolute waste of time. If it is true, it's of ultimate importance. It will determine where you spend eternity. Jesus says that as he returns, people will be going about their busy lives, getting on with things. And he will come and disrupt it all. So don't let the busyness of life stop you from stepping back to see the big picture. And that's why it's so good that you're here today, investigating Jesus' claims. I do hope you keep investigating. And I pray you won't be like those Pharisees we saw at the start, saw at the start not recognizing that Jesus is the one they've been looking for, the one who can satisfy, the one who reveals God. Because Jesus is who you need. He's revealed himself in history, and he will come again to judge every human. If you enter his kingdom, accepting him as your savior, then you'll be taken to be with him forever when he returns. And he freely and warmly invites you today to be with him. So, whoever you are, Jesus tells you the future. How will it change how you live today? Do take a minute now to consider that question. And in a minute, we're going to put some questions on the screen to discuss in groups. But have a minute just by yourself to think about that one question. How will it change how you live today?